All right, everyone else, turn to the book of John, chapter 12. The book of John, chapter 12. We are continuing in our expository study through the Gospel of John, our Journeying with John series. Um, We started this series back in May, and we're only 12 chapters in, and so we got a long way to go. and probably uh, take us quite a bit. Uh, We're just a little bit over halfway, and so we got a little bit of a ways to go. but I've been enjoying it. I hope you have too. Um, so the book of John, and we are in chapter 12. And we are going to pick up here um, in verse 23. Uh, but before we do, I remember the last time we were together, uh, Jesus Christ uh, shows up at the feast, right? Oh my gosh, Jesus is here. Wow. Right. And then uh, I know the last thing we talked about was the fact that the Greeks showed up to the feast. Right. The Greeks showed up to the feast and they were like, we would see Jesus. And then Philip goes and tells Andrew and then Andrew and Philip go and tell Jesus. But they don't bring the Greeks to Jesus. Right. And we're like, well, uh, we want to make sure that we do a good job of bringing folks to Jesus. Right. And so uh, I'm excited about uh, this chapter. There's some good stuff in here today. And so I know we prayed already, but we're going to pray again just over the lesson. And then we're going to uh, dive right into John chapter 12, verses, verse 23. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and for your son and for sending him to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. I just pray that you would uh, use this message, Lord, that you would speak to the church the way that you spoke to me, God. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. All right, verse 23. It says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so um, it kind of makes sense, right? Uh, for most of the book of John, what's Jesus Christ doing, right? He's, he's battling it out with the Pharisees, but after that, you know, he usually has uh, some kind of altercation with them, and then he has to go into hiding because they seek his life and blah, 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 right? Uh, but now we see a different dynamic that's brought to John chapter 12 because Jesus is now showing up at the temple and he's live in living color. Right. And uh, he says, you know, the, the hour is at hand. It's, it's now is the time that the son of man should be glorified. And so it makes sense that the Greeks are coming to see who Jesus is. It makes sense uh, because when it's time for God to work, when God is showing up, you're going to find that people from all different places begin to show up to see who Jesus is. To see what he's got going on. His mission is coming to a close. It makes sense that he would be recognized even by the people uh, who did not know him. Of course, what major event happened that caused people to want to know uh, who Jesus was and what he was doing? One big event happened. What was it? Lazarus, right? And so uh, even last time we were talking about how they came because they heard about Lazarus. And the reason why they uh, were interested was because... Number one, that he rose Lazarus from the dead. But they're like, if he's raising Lazarus from the dead, what else can he do? And remember, we are talking about how sometimes God will use something to happen in your life. And immediately it's about what God has done. But that that instance should testify to God of who he is. Right. Testify of God for who he is. And so it makes sense that this is what's going on. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, 
but if it die, it bringeth forth uh, much fruit. And so he's, you're going to see here um, in the passage that we're looking at is that Jesus is getting ready to, one of the many times he does is foreshadow his death. He's going to foreshadow his death. And uh, remember we were talking about Caiaphas? And Caiaphas was saying, well, um, it's expedient for us that one man should die for the nation than for the whole nation to perish. And of course, he wasn't talking about surrendering himself or him being the one that died, uh, would die for the nation, but it would be Jesus, right? And Jesus here is acknowledging here in verse 24, uh, he says, man, verily, verily, like surely, surely, listen to me. Um, it's important to understand that if uh, this corn of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Planting that seed is what brings life. Um, and his death is needed in order to bring forth fruit. It's the necessity of his death that's going to bring forth life. Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Circle that, underline it, highlight it, whatever you do. Um, very simply put, loving your life will cost it. Loving your life may cost it. And losing it is how you actually gain it. What does that mean? Just, just keep, a, keep it marked there. I don't want to park on it too much. Um, when we get to our takeaways, we'll dissect that a little bit more. Verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so we kind of find out that there's a little bit of a... Of a of a sequence that takes place on how to be honored uh, by God, right? So he gives a little bit of a, of a formula. He says, serve him, right? How do you serve him? You serve him, uh, you, you serve him and you follow him, right? Let him follow me. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. So it's serving him, it's following him, it's dwelling where he is. And that's how you are uh, honored by God. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means uh, here in a little while. But serve him, follow him, dwell where he is. We have to get back to dwelling where Jesus is. Yeah. Dwelling where Jesus is. Let me remind you that we are not Christians in a Christian world. We are Christian in a lost and dying world. Yeah. And that we're going to see some more things pointing to that here in a second. It's hard doing these read-throughs because there's a sermon in like everything. All right. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And so um, we know that Jesus speaks a lot in what? Parables, right? Uh, but here is one of the times where you see him uh, being outright and forthcoming about what's going on. And he's saying, I'm going to be transparent with you. Uh, my soul is troubled. And he's like, but what do I say? What do I say? God, remove this from me? I mean, this is the whole purpose by which I came here. Like, what's getting ready to happen is literally the entire culmination of all that's happened in the 33 and a half years of my life. It's for this. It's for this. It's, we find a grieving Jesus, knowing what is coming to meet him, nothing he could do about it. The whole reason that he came, wanting to do it or not, it's the reason he was there. Verse 28. Circle this verse. This verse gave me chills, y'all. It gave me chills. Verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. One thing that I love about God is God is so authoritative on who he is. And I absolutely love it. 
right? I like, I, I, I like to think about that passage in the Bible where it says, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. But then God flips around and says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father, no one can come to the Son unless the Father compels him. So we see this happening right here where Jesus says, hey, um, my soul is troubled. I'm in a dark place. I don't really want to do this, but I know that I have to do this. It's the whole reason that I came here. Father, glorify thy name. God, I want you to be glorified. But I love how God responds because God is so matter of fact. He says, then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it. What's he glorifying, church? Huh? What's he glorifying? His name. Yeah. Right? He says, I have both glorified it and glorify it again. God, I want you to be glorified. Oh, I am. Yeah. I am. I have been. And I'm going to be glorified again. So don't worry about it. I love that confidence of God. Verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said it that it thundered. Oh, that it thundered. Lost my spot. Got all worked up. Said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. And so they're trying to, you know, have little discourses about what's going on like they always do. Skipping over them. Verse 30. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Right. So, so far that I've counted Consciously, this is the second time that Jesus Christ said that. Where he said, this wasn't done for me. He says, I already have a relationship with God. God and I are one. He didn't speak for me. He didn't do this for me. He did this for y'all. He didn't speak so that I could hear him. I already know what he sounds like. I already know what he's like. He did that for you. For your sakes. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So he says, I'm getting ready to clean up old Lucifer. Right? I'm about to clean up. Oh, look at this, right? Because um, who's, who, who's, the, who's the ruler of this world right now, y'all? Huh? Say it loud, Miss Terrell. Not loud and proud. The devil. the devil, right? But check out what he says. Check out what Jesus says in the very next verse. I'm going to back up and read verse 31 again. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That is so powerful. Right? Because he acknowledges all the time, like, you are not of me. You're of your father, the devil. He says that a bunch of times, right? And how this world is ruled right now by Satan. But he says there's going to come a point where Satan will no longer be the ruler of this world. And I'm going to be lifted up. By the way, that's a double entendre. Because he's going to be lifted up in the literal sense on the cross. And he's also going to be lifted up figuratively by being elevated. Right? So he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But look where he says he's being drawn up from. If I be lifted up from the what? That's not coincidence, y'all. He says, I'm going to cast out the ruler of this world and then I'm going to be lifted up here on this earth and I'm going to draw all men to me. By the way, that's the very same quarrel that the Pharisees have been having. What say ye? He compels all the people to follow him. Everyone is forsaking what we've been saying and they're all following him. What are we going to do? They're all following him. And that's what he meant. He said, man, I'm going to cast out. I mean, Genesis chapter uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 
that Old Testament reference for the gospel. He will bruise his heel and he will bruise his head. And he's saying like right now, I'm going to be lifted up. And then once I die on this cross, he has no more power. And guess what? It gets better. I'm going to rise again. Death then has no sting. Death then has no power. Sin has no more hold. Like I will complete the mission that God has had for me. And Satan will no longer have any power. No longer have any power. I loved it. Verse 33. This he said signifying what death he should die. What death he should die. Verse 34. The people answered him. We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? I face palm every week, y'all. I mean, every time I study this, every time I study the next verses in the sequence, I'm always face palming because they just miss it every time. And he even says, I mean, over and over and over again, they, they keep having this conversation. Who is the son of man? Verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light. Lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. And he's letting them know. You need to know that right now you're walking with me, right? Because he, we find out that he is, uh, he's not only the, the life, but he's also the, the light, right? We find that out in John chapter 1, right? And so he's like, the light is not going to be with you forever. The light is not going to be with you forever. You need to walk with that light and that even goes on the scriptures say walk in the light as he is in the light right he says because there's going to come a time where I'm going to my light is going to be removed and if you're not accustomed or acquainted with it you're going to be walking in darkness and you won't know which way you're going you won't know which way you're going and so like we do every week I got takeaways for you yay the light won't stay there you walk in the light because he is in the light Number one, you ready? When it's time to be glorified, all men will come to him. When it's time for him to be glorified, all will come to him. Again, it made sense that the Greeks came because it was time for him to be elevated. It was time for him to be lifted up. And whenever that time comes, we find out that it's not it is not uncommon for people from all over to come and to hear what's going on. I know in America right now, we're having a, a battle right now when we know that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And right now, that's not America. But we can't think that this whole world is, out, is outdone because if you listen to the, the stories of the missionaries across the, field, across the world, there is revival happening in places all over the world. Yeah. So just because the vast majority of what's happening here are people not being drawn to Christ doesn't mean that it's not happening elsewhere. That it's not happening elsewhere. Not to mention, the Bible also says that the time is at hand. That there are people who are in need to reap the harvest because the harvest is plenteous but the laborers are few. So here's the truth. Just because you're not going out there and finding them doesn't mean they don't want to come to him. Amen. You hear me? Just because you're not going out there and finding them doesn't mean I like hearing it. Oh, bless God. America's going down. It's dying. It's going down. It's fire on the pit to hell. Nobody wants to know the Lord. Nobody. But there are so many people that if you'll go out there and say, hey, there's a man named Jesus who died on the cross for you. Yeah, we, went, we, did, that, we did that soul winning blitz last week. 
And the very first house we knocked on, a woman opened the door and said, hey, we've been looking for a church. We've been looking for a place to go. We saw Miss Miriam come in and her, and her son Elijah came in and said, hey, we just moved from Miami. And we're new here and we were looking for a church. And so a lot of times we like to mask our laziness in the fact in that the world doesn't want to know Christ. When that's not true. Yeah, there are always going to be people out there that don't know or don't want them. But there's a lot of people who do. Right now, you guys know that I'm working on my master's in, uh, in clinical mental health. And right now we're talking about um, integration of spirituality and, and, and professional counseling. And do you know that in a room full of, in a, in a, in a survey done over practicing Christians, non-practicing Christians, and atheists, or not atheists, but um, agnostic or non-believing people, that over 70% of the entire group said they would like to have spirituality integrated into their counseling? What that means is that we say that, oh, no one wants to know, and there are so many people out there that actually do. Then that's because when it's time to be glorified, all will come to him. Well, church, when's the time for him to be glorified? Yeah. Amen. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure y'all are paying attention. <laughs> Number one, when it's time to be glorified, all will come to him. Number two, Christ's death is what brings us life. Christ's death is what brings us life. He says the, the wheat or the corn of the wheat, when it dies into the ground, and that's where it brings forth fruit. And this is what people realize, fail to realize. The gospel does not stop at the prayer. You understand that? The gospel does not just stop at the prayer. Yes, it's justified, right? You become justified just as if I've never sinned. But the same power that saves you is the same power that allows you to live a sanctified life, to be holy and to be set apart. It's the same power that raised Jesus. It's the same power that allows you to live a victorious Christian life. Right? And so you find out that Christ's death brings life, but it's not the same life that is earthly and it's it's heavenly and more abundantly as well. Just because you're alive doesn't mean you're living. Just because you're alive doesn't mean that you're living. Christ brings us life. Are you living it? Are you living it? I know a lot of believers that's like, man, this church stuff just isn't for me. This God stuff just isn't for me. And the truth is that we have a lot of people who are leaving the church to become demons. Having loved this present world. Oh, I don't like organized religion. Oh, I don't like I don't like. And the truth is, that's the same group of people who are always like, the universe does this, the universe does that. Well, it doesn't make it doesn't shock me because the Bible says there's gonna come a time where they worship the creation more than the creator. They want to have all, and if you look at it, if you listen to me, meet someone who's big on the universe stuff and listen to them talk. The universe does this. The universe organizes this. The universe ordained this. No, what happened was they wanted to have the power of God without any of his accountability. And that's why they don't have life more abundantly. It's because they sever that relationship so that they can live in whatever kind of lifestyle that they want. I notice a trend when it comes to celebrities and Christianity. You can look out over sports and you can see that in sports there are definitely a handful of people who are, um, who, who are believers and they love the Lord and they make it known, right? I mean, case in point, Stephen Curry, right? 
he has Philippians 4.13 on his shoes, and he at least testifies of some kind of belief. But I read a, I read a quote last week from Brett Favre. Anyone know who's Brett, who Brett Favre is? Brett Favre, I'm not sure if he still is, because I don't watch football anymore, but um, he was the, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers for a while, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, he came out and said this. Now, I always knew Brett Favre to be one of the people in, in football to be openly professing Christians. And he said that he was rejecting his faith because he couldn't believe in a God who was willing to send everybody to hell. He couldn't believe in a God who was willing to send everybody to hell. First off, asterisk number one. The hell was created for the devil and his angels. Asterisk, asterisk, right? Number two. God is not sending us there. We are sending ourselves there. And we know that by one man, sin, passed upon, uh, sin came into the world, and so death passed upon all men, and so death by sin. Blame Adam, not God. Right? Asterisk, 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 right? Number three. Why would God dangle us over hell and then bankrupt heaven so that we can get there? Doesn't make any sense. Oh, God's trying to save us from a, from a hell that he's sending us to, that he's threatening us with. I mean, did you read your Bible? Oh, no, you got Swiss cheese... Theology, and so you just, you know, picking and choosing what you want to read. But that's not the case at all. He came to bring us life. And even he says it in his word. In his word. We love to quote that verse so much, right? For God's love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But no one ever reads verse 17. But that the world might, okay, the world through him might be saved. Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He's like, I didn't come here to bring death. I came here to be the fulfillment of the law and bring you life. It's because of me that I'm able to give you the second covenant, which is grace. And grace more abundantly. Where did you read that I'm sending everybody to hell? Come on now. Christ's death is what brings us life. Number one, when it's time to be glorified, all will come to him. Number two, Christ's death is what brings life. Number three, who do you love more, Christ or your life? Who do you love more, Christ or or your life? There's that never-ending battle for the believer and the non-believer alike. Do you love this world or do you love Christ? He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake shall keep it. We just talked about Demas and how Demas forsook Paul in his missionary journey because he having loved this present world while Paul was on the other side of the spectrum saying, I'll count it all but dumb. Yeah. Right? It's, it, it's, I count it all but lost for the cause of Christ. I mean, I did, all of that that happened before my, before my interaction with God was vain. Yeah. All of it. Yet if someone as intelligent and accomplished as po- and as powerful as the Apostle Paul or Saul as he was before his conversion, who was responsible for writing 13, maybe 14 of the, of the books of the New Testament, can say, I can forsake all of those things. And I realize that all of that stuff, like Solomon said, is, is vanity. Vanity and vanity and vanity. And that it means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Why is it that even though we have this as believers that, that, that shows us that, that we still have that battle between loving the world and loving the Lord. Well, that's because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
That's because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we find out that this comes all the time. Do I love Christ or do I love this life? And so many of us have that internal battle that shows itself many times that says, uh, uh, which one am I willing to give up? I remember I, uh, uh, I wrote a sermon. The Lord gave me a sermon called How Much Sacrifice is Too Much. Uh, I don't know if you, re- if you remember it or not, but it's, it was about when Abraham was bringing Isaac up into the, the mountain to sacrifice him. And how God said, I want you to get up and I want you to grab Isaac and I want you to take him into the, into the mountain to sacrifice him. And we don't see Abraham giving God a discourse. We don't see Abraham asking God why. We don't see Abraham throwing a fit. The Bible says he rose up early in the morning and he saddled his ass and he got a son and he got all that stuff. And what happened? He took him up into the mountain. By the way, the first time God said, I want you to get up and I want you to just go until I tell you to stop. And he got up and went. And many of us forsake God for a lot less. We forsake God for a lot less. I always say this, you know, in a first world country, one of the greatest things that, that, um, that Satan ever accomplished was twofold. Believing that he's not real and that he's not blatantly doing the things that he's doing. I didn't watch it, but I heard about the Grammys. Anyone hear about the Grammys that passed? Anybody watch the Grammys? I didn't watch it. But there's a young woman on there that won um, a lot of Grammys. Her name is Billie Eilish. Anyone ever heard of her? Her name is Billie Eilish. And she is 17 years old. And at her first Grammy, she walked away with five Grammys in a row. Five Grammys in a row. You make great music, you get awarded for it. That's not the part, that's not the part that's alarming. Is that Billie Eilish's music is openly satanic. She has a song called, All Good Girls Go to Hell. She has lyrics in her song that talk about how Lucifer is lonely and how he needs company. See, back in the day, there was a lot of subtle stuff. You'd hear about the, uh, you'd hear about the uh, you know, playing the song backwards and how there's coded messages and stuff like that. Church, they are now out here blatantly worshiping Satan in their music. And they are believers that are defending them. What was Lucifer's job in heaven? Oh, can we be that blind? Can we be that blind? And here's the question I was having with my wife, right? What kind of, what kind of agreement would you have to cut, would you have to have with Satan for that? Like, you ever wonder, or you hear about people selling their souls to the devil for fame? Like, what, like, I want to know, like, what the, what the terms and conditions are of that. All right, well, um, you make me famous, then I'll follow you, and then hell it is for me. Or is it, if you make me great, then I will bring, use my talents to bring all these people to you? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, what, I don't know what, what, what the goal is, but you'll find out that for many people, we're not willing to give it up. And I, say, I said all those things to say this, is that if you go to third world countries, you'll find a lot of demon possession and stuff like that. Yeah. A bunch of it. Yeah. I hear missionaries come back from the, from the Philippines. I hear people come back from Haiti, from all kinds of stuff. I heard one missionary tell me that she was in a village and they were, uh, she was in a village and she was, uh, 
uh, you know, preaching the gospel there and she was reaching the people there in Togo, West Africa. And she said one day she went home and that there was a dish made for her from one of the villagers and she just ate it. She ate it all. She said when she was done, she heard a loud scream outside of her house. Came to find out that the witch doctor in the city, in the town, had laced that meal with tranquilizer. She said enough to put down an elephant. And it didn't take her life. She said she didn't even get sick. Now that might be, you know, the Lord supernaturally intervening there. But I've, y'all, I've heard some, I've heard all kinds of stuff. So guess what happens? We don't, you don't normally see a whole bunch of stuff like that here. You don't. Does it exist? I believe so. I believe so. It's here. It's here. It's not as blatant. You know why? Because what's Satan's number one goal? His number one goal is to just get you away from God, right? He's using us as a, as a conduit or a mechanism to pull us away from God. So what's he got to do? He says, why do I have to go through as drastic as getting them possessed like legion, for we are many, when I can just give them some money in their bank account? When I can make them famous? When I can give them entertainment, luxury, love? Because the truth is, we'll make an idol out of anything. We will make an idol out of anything. I remember the day I was out doing soul winning in Indiana during my internship, and we knocked on this guy's door. I shared it with you before. And we walk up, and you know how you know he had money? Because he had, it wasn't a brick driveway, but it was like tile, y'all. Who puts tile outside? Anyway, driveway, nice, expensive car in his driveway. We knock on the door, and he comes out. He had his route. I remember it like it was yesterday. He had his... Uh, uh, Lacoste. You ever heard of that brand with the little gator on it? Had his Lacoste polo and his Lacoste pants and his Sperry topsider shoes. And he said, hey, fellas, what's going on? And he said, hey, we're from Lighthouse Baptist Church over in Lebanon, and we're just out here, you know, inviting people to church. And he said, uh, I don't need God. Look at all the stuff that I've got. Would you like a glass of water, though? And that's all that he's got to do. The definition of sin is to miss the mark. All he's got to do is get us to just shift our eyes. And that's, by the way, that's that's the same way that he got Eve. When she saw that the fruit was good to eat, when she what first? When she saw. We've always been visual people. And whatever we can get that's tangible will a lot of times be the thing that will win us over. So the question is, what do you love more, Christ or your life? Number one, when it's time to be glorified, all will come to him. Number two, Christ's death is what brings life. Number three, what do you love more, Christ or your life? Number four, we go back to that formula to be honored by God. He said, serve him, follow him, dwell with him. And that's how he elevates you to where you need to be. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that right now, Xavier Small is in the center of God's will for his life. Am I perfect? No. Not even close. And if you're like me, you probably had to repent a time or two this week. But I do know that my heart is to serve him. And my heart is to follow him. I believe David being a man after God's own heart was, was a double entendre as well. Someone who is after the heart of God is almost as if saying like, you know, made in that image. Right? But then also someone who is being in pursuit of God. 
No matter how many times David messed up, he always said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Or I, I, I long for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He longed uh, to be with God. And I guess the question tonight um, from this question is, do you long to be with God? Do you long to dwell with Him? Do you long to serve Him? And do you, long, do you long to follow Him? By the way, I believe that stuff is put in order on purpose. If you will serve me, right, then you will what? Follow me. And if you follow me, then you'll do what? You'll dwell where I am. And if you dwell with me, then, I, then you will be honored before God. You'll be honored before God. But you know what the truth is? For many Christians all around the world, losing that honor of God, potentially not hearing, well done thou good and faithful servant, is not a big enough consequence. And so we forsake God for the world anyway. Number five, really seek to see God glorified. Number four was the formula to be honored by God. Number five, really seek to see God glorified. Really seek. Do you really seek for God to be glorified in your life? Pastor, where does that come from? Jesus, after saying, God, I don't know. What am I going to do? My heart is heavy. I'm in, a, I'm in a heavy place. I mean, we know that in Golgotha, not Golgotha, but in Gethsemane, he was sweating as there were great drops of blood. And he said, Lord, if it be thy will, then let this cup pass from me. And he really wanted to say, God, if there's any other way, like I know what I'm here for, but is there any other way? And there wasn't one. And so what was his response? God, be glorified. Be glorified. Beloved, how does that apply to you? Huh? What happens when it's your turn for your cup? And it's not as sweet as you would have liked it to be. And it's hard and it's heavy and... It's something that you're having a difficult time with. Are you the kind that you will shake your fist at God? I, I, was, I was counseling a young woman today and she was telling me um, that she had a moment yesterday where she was asking God why, God why, God why. And I don't believe, I believe there's a difference in the mannerism by which you come to God. It's God why, help me understand. And there's God why would you. And I love what the Bible says about Job is that after God allowed Satan to strip him of everything that he had, the Bible says in all these things, Job charged not God foolishly. I say it all the time, but I don't really care about a Christian who's in great great spirits who can praise God. That doesn't impress me. Someone who when things are going well, praise God, pastor, things are going great. Woo! Well, I'm happy for you. I can rejoice with those that rejoice. Wonderful. But there's no merit behind it. Why? Because that's the very same thing that Satan came before God and said. He said, Job only loves you because of what you've done for him. Because things are good. Let let me get a a crack at him. And see that that he'll curse your name. True strength as a child of God comes from being able to raise a hand and cry holy when you're in the valley. When you're sitting there and your heart is torn and tormented 
and you're heavy and you're wondering if this cup will pass and you don't have the strength to ask God to endure because you're not sure how long the storm's going to last and you're afraid it's going to be long term and you want it to pass from you. But when you realize that your cup for the moment is to go through what you're going through, do you have the spiritual stamina to say, God, be glorified? God, I'm going to ask you, will you remove this cup from me? And if the answer is no, then I will see to it that you gain the utmost glory from my life. Has that been your testimony? Has that been your testimony? Number one, when it's time to be glorified, all will come to him. Number two, Christ's death is what brings life. Number three, what do you love more, Christ or your life? Number four, the formula to be honored by God. Number five, seek to see God glorified. I mean, Jesus did it. But I love, remember, I love what he said. He said, God will receive it. And he, whether you give it or not, God is going to be glorified, right? And we know that all things work together for good. Not my good. Not your good. For good. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to its purpose. Which means that whatever happens in your life, it all contributes to the good of what's going on. I shared, a, I shared something on Twitter today. I said the best thing my father probably could have ever done for me is not be present. Like he wasn't. My father was, I didn't meet my father until I was 18. He missed out on all the malleable years of my life, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. I said the best thing he did for me was to not be there. I said because the motivation that I now have is different. And my goal is to see God glorified and to be a good father someday and to be a good husband and to be a good human being, be a good follower of God, all stem from the neglect that I got from that area. And then I said, all examples are good ones, even the bad ones. All examples are good, even the bad ones. Why? Because God is going to get glory, whether you give it or not. Whether you do the work or not, whether you're present or not, you might as well hop on board. Might as well get on the train. Might as well. Number six, God speaks so you can hear him. God speaks so you can hear him. I know I share this quote with you a lot, but people ask me, Pastor, how do you hear God? And I say, how do you not? How do you not? Like, forgive me if this, seems, if this seems out of place, but it's almost annoying sometimes. Where you're just trying to go on about your day, you're just trying to pump some gas, and you hear, psst. Psst. See that person over there? Go, go bring him a track. Child, I've been, I've, been, I've been safe for 15 years. And that never stops being awkward. Anyone else testify? Like, that never... I'm not ashamed. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not ashamed. I wear my Christian t-shirts, I wear my church polo, I wear our OBT shirt, I, you know, wear, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not ashamed, but there's something about going up to someone that you don't know and saying, hey, here's a piece of paper about religion, because everyone, religion, because religion makes everyone uncomfortable. And I remember one time when I was in Indiana doing the internships, we had a, a college and career Bible study. And while we were there, um, a group of Muslim men walked up, right? A group of Muslim men. I mean, they were in the getup and everything, right? Like, 
Muslim men walked up. We're in Starbucks. My friend Brianna gets up and she grabs a track out of her purse. And she walks over there and starts to witness to these Muslim men. So, and I, I mean, I'm not sure what to expect. I haven't had myself too many of those opportunities, but she got one. And they were pretty nice to her, actually. But she came back and we were all like, what? That's awesome. Right? And she was like, that initial feeling of fear is a very thin line between being able to cross over to the threshold to present the gospel to someone. It's like that story that I've shared before that I've heard about those men who were out in the, um, the African safari, you know, hunting. And of course, like many people do that are hunters, they go out and they, they put, they, 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 you know, have their camping bags. And what they do is they, they put a net for the mosquitoes so they can sleep in peace. And the man said that he was a, the, the man says that he was a, he was laying there in, in the middle of the night and he could feel hot breath on his face. He said he opened his eyes to see a wild African lion breathing right in his face. He said, but that lion probably could smell us, but he got closer and felt that net on his face. And because it was dark and he couldn't see it, it scared him off. And that lion had no idea that just about a centimeter or two is what stopped him from having a midnight snack. The truth is, the fear that the devil and his forces put up against us to stop us from doing the work of God is only a, a centimeter or two thick. And that if you'll just break past the net, you will find that you can hear him. That you can hear him. It's not for Christ. It's not for the Holy Spirit. They know his voice. Are you listening? Samuel, Samuel. Yes, it's not me. Go back and sleep. Samuel, Samuel, it's not me. Go back and sleep. Samuel, Samuel, okay, the next time you hear it, say, Here I'm my Lord. Many of us, we can't hear him because we're not listening. Hearing and listening are not the same thing. God speaks so you can hear him. Are you listening? And lastly, And if there are many things that we can grab from this, y'all, I was like, we could have had a 14-point takeaway today. There were so many things in there. I, I, was, I almost felt bad skipping over some things. I just to pull out some of the, the heaviest ones that spoke to me. But the last thing is this. The seventh one is this, that you'll walk in darkness without the light. Yeah. You will walk in darkness without the light. And you may say, Pastor, that's not very profound. I mean, duh, if you don't walk in the light, if your light's not on, you're in darkness. But you'd be shocked at how many people miss that simple factor. I had someone in my DMs on Twitter this week. And he was saying, what do you think it is to me? And that's one thing I actually love. I call Twitter my Twitter ministry. And the reason why I do that is because I get a lot of young adults that are in my private messages asking me all kinds of questions about it. So I'm glad to be able to reach to that demographic that I'm slowly slipping away from. Right? Slowly slipping away from. And he said, what do you think is the heaviest part? He's like, about people that not wanting to come to Christ. He was like, why is it that they don't realize that the relationship with God is worse? Like, 
They try to compare like, oh, why is the alternative to everlasting life with God an everlasting torment? And they don't realize that not having life everlasting with God is actually worse than an everlasting life in hell. Do you understand that? Y'all listening to me? Not having, now you already know that not having one equals the other, but I would, I would say it doesn't. Not having that, and of course the word death, we find out here in the, New, in the New, a New Testament standpoint of the word death means separation, right? It means separation, separation from God, right? And so, separation from God is probably hell all by itself. You understand me? But people don't realize this, that the opposite of the light is the darkness. I asked, I asked a young man, I said, well, what if you were God, what are your alternatives? You either have eternal life on earth and, or an eternal life in, on, on hell. In hell. I said, if you were God, you know that you were perfect and that you are the standard for perfection. And that anti-perfection, what does that deserve? He said, you know what, I probably would have picked hell too. What people, re- what people f- I say all that to say this, what people don't realize is that there is no limbo. There is no light and dark and some weird middle ground. It is either in the light or in the darkness. If I turn the lights off in this room right now, it will be black in here. It won't be magenta or gray or chamomile yellow. It won't be any of those things. It's going to be black in here. The antithesis to light is darkness. So many times we don't realize that we actually pick a side. You are either walking in the light or you are walking in darkness. Period. And we don't realize that our days are filled with a bunch of little moments where we are choosing light or darkness. It starts in your thoughts. Then your actions. How many times today did you decide to walk in the light? How many times today did you decide to walk in darkness? He said the light will not be with you always. It will not be with you always. And if you do not walk in the light while it is here, then you are going to be in darkness and have no way. You'll be lost. Again, another double entendre. What do we know? Christ being the light of the world, right? That if he is not there, then they will be lost as a sheep that have no shepherd. But from an eternal standpoint, if they do not have that light, they will be in darkness. So which one do you choose? So which one do you choose? Just in case you missed any, I'll read, the, I'll read them off for you one more time. Number one, when it's time to be glorified, all will come to him. Number two, Christ's death is what brings life. Number three, what do you love more? Christ or your life? Number four, the formula to be honored by God, to serve, to follow, to dwell with Him. That's how He honors you. Or be honored in God. Number five, really seek to, be, to see God glorified. Number six, God speaks so you can hear Him. 
And number seven is you will walk in darkness without the light. Amen? Let's pray.